0: The Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality.
1: This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Kathy Labriola.
0: One of my friends purchased this book for me of polyamorous elders because it's not a common topic. And Kathy Labriola sheds so much light on the idea of how we age in beautiful, open, loving relationships.
1: So let's hear it right away from Kathy Labriola.
0: Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Kathy Labriola, the author of Polyamorous Elders. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great. A beautiful day here in Berkeley, California, where I am.
0: Wonderful. I'm I'm so excited to talk to you about your book, your recent book called Polyamorous Elders, Aging and Open Relationships. Because on the Open Nesters podcast, some of what we discuss is really this idea of how we open more in love in sexuality and some and some people who are our audience remain monogamous this is not an intention for us to convince anyone rather to shed some light on the topic of aging with all kinds of relationship styles and and I know you've been in a polyamorous relationship yourself for 50 years so you've been coaching th- as a therapist for people for how long yourself
2: uh i've been in private practice as a Counselor, nurse, and hypnotherapist for thirty years. I had a uh, approximately twenty year career before that as an intensive care unit nurse and uh, a nurse also working with people with HIV and AIDS.
0: Wow, such a broad perspective to come from. Thank you. So, so I guess just to start us off, what made you you know write the book about poly and why you why are you working so much in the in this field in therapy as well?
2: Well, I work with clients of all ages, and I currently have clients who are aged 18 to 84. So it's kind of a broad range of people that I work with. But uh, I wanted to, I was inspired to write this book, mainly the way I've been inspired to write each of my previous books, which is I'm not a writer and I don't have any, you know, ego involvement in writing books. Uh, I just wait and wait and wait for someone else to write the books that I want to read. And then I get pissed off enough. And I say, well, I guess I'm going to have to write it myself. And that was the genesis of each of my four books, uh, including this one, because I'm just so frustrated by there being like really no scholarship out there at all about uh, elders who are in polyamorous relationships. And I have so many older poly clients who have been doing polyamory for 20 30 40 50 years or even more uh and they also are frustrated they do not see their lives reflected anywhere in the media and i hear complaints all the time about well whenever you see something on tv or in a newspaper or online about polyamory there it's always about you know uh glamorous, affluent young people who have been doing polyamory for a year or two years or three years and who really don't have much bunch of a clue what they're doing or what they're talking about. Uh, and you never see people in our age group uh, in, in any of these media portrayals. Uh, in addition to that, you know, when I was a young person, being poly, uh, although at the time, the term polyamory would not be invented for like 25 years more. (laughs) But we just used to call it ethical non monogamy, or open relationships. And we still do use those terms. But uh, the term polyamory seems to have taken over somewhat. And in the recent years, this consensual non monogamy is a more sort of generic term used by scholars and researchers, academics, because it's so sort of value neutral and so specific. It means any kind of relationship that is not strictly monogamous, that is consensual and uh, out in the open in terms of being non-monogamous. So uh, that term consensual non-monogamy seems to be starting to gain some traction. But in any case, what I meant to say was, uh, when I was a very young person in my late teens, early 20s, and even up into my 30s, doing polyamory of some sort, I was frustrated that I never saw anybody over 30 doing it. And that made me wonder of two things. Number one, who's going to give me advice? Who's already solved some of these problems so that I don't have to keep reinventing the wheel? (laughs) And number two, uh, does that mean polyamory or open relationships are not sustainable? The fact that the only people I see doing it are like 22, 23, 24 years old. Does that mean people just try this experimentally for a year or two and then give up and go back to monogamy uh and more traditional relationships? Uh, it's hard when you don't have any role models and you don't have... Any, you can't visualize this being a lifelong thing because you don't see anyone else who's been doing it for more than a couple of years, uh, and as I said, you don't have anyone to advise you, help you solve problems. Uh, you know, in those days, uh, it was long before the invention of the internet, which I know a lot of people listening to your podcast will probably. I think I'm out of my mind. Uh, uh, anyone under 60 can't seem to remember or imagine that there ever was a time when the internet didn't exist, but you could not Google polyamory. <laughs> you could not Google jealousy management. You know, you could not you know, find classes or therapists or uh, books or articles. There, they're just none of that existed. Uh, there were no poly friendly therapists. There were no books, articles, anything on. Uh, on any kind of open relationships, I used to mail out little zines and pamphlets that I wrote up about various aspects of open relationships, just because there was absolutely nothing (laughs) about it. So uh, it it was very difficult for those of us in those days, we used to say, we're just making this shit up as we go along. I'm
0: sure I mean, this is so resonant. I believed for you to have it in your heart to get this message out and you've researched this. So how long did this take you, this book? I mean, this really is a work of a lot of beautiful research and case studies.
2: How long oh, you're so kind. That? Thank you for your very kind words. Uh, it, it took about three years to write this book, mainly because of the interview. I did lots and lots of interviews of people that I knew through the poly community, people I recruited through email, sending out emails to different groups in different parts of the country, uh, and some to Australia and the UK and other places where I had some contacts uh, and interviewing my own clients and, uh, you know, people they that they knew <laughs> about uh, different aspects of uh, open relationships. It also took a lot of time in trying to research and get information, which was completely a dead end because there was absolutely... Really, nothing written on the subject. So, uh, I definitely spent a lot of time getting nowhere, uh, hoping. Well, someone must have written an article about this, or someone must have done some research on this. And, and in fact, uh, the mainly the only research I was able to find were two relatively small studies. One was done by two uh, an older gay male couple who were not psychologists or researchers or anything, but they had been in a relationship for. I think almost 40 years and had always had an open relationship and they couldn't find any research on that. And and so they did a, a whole study uh, called the couple study on gay, older gay couples who had been uh, in an open relationship for, I think uh, I think their minimum was like 15 years or more, but some of their uh, people in their study were in a relationship for over 40 years uh, and on what that was all about and what that was like. And there was one other uh, study done uh by Jim Fleckenstein and uh, a researcher uh who's also he's very
0: beautiful. active he's on our podcast he, we interviewed Jim early in the in our first season oh, yeah. then, so people can listen back thanks for remembering and recalling that we loved listening and talking to the wise jim so i am curious about you though like what surprised you most in the research in doing this what surprised you most oh well,
2: before i go on to that i just wanted to add that jim fleckenstein's study uh it was only about older poly people and their sex lives so it really only covered that one part so so right. trying to get some more and from as much information as i could have put it together was a very little actual uh research on it um well a couple things surprised me uh over and over again i heard from poly elders you know we got into this open relationship thing 30 40 50 years ago for the sex, the romance, the excitement, the adventure, the transgressive nature of these types of relationships that we thought were so radical. Uh, we had no idea at the time that when we were old, we would discover there are some incredible benefits and advantages for us in old age. <laughs> and, uh, those benefits boil down to their essence of having more people in the polycule or in your life tends to translate into more resources. More resources in terms of if you're ill, disabled, uh, need help, can't drive any longer, uh, you have more people that could help take care of you or take care, help you take care of a partner, help you take care of a, an elderly relative that needs care. Uh, you have more people who have more incomes and this is particularly important uh most of my clients and most of the people i interviewed are uh, working class or lower income people and so uh, the idea of having uh, a third or fourth income or even a fifth income in the polycule is huge in terms of preventing destitution in your old age. I mean, many, many people, especially women, uh, and particularly working class women and lower income women, do end up being pretty much destitute in their old age. So having additional partners or metamors is a huge benefit. And and this proved even more so during the COVID pandemic when uh, a lot of people were lives were very disrupted or they had a partner or who uh, had passed away. And so that was one less income in the family. Uh, and the importance of the other partners and metamores in terms of their being able to help each other financially, was pretty important.
0: So, you know, what's coming up for me is that it's so interesting that we need communities more as we age, period. I mean, we need communities more in life anyway. Uh-huh in-person communities that support us through these things. So what distinguishes that? I know that, for example, I rely more on my, I have primary partner and other partners I think I rely less on. I have a little more of a hierarchical um, structure in my relationship. And yet I wonder, also in, in New England, I haven't found, we haven't found older poly people as well either. We've haven't, we have a little few friends, but not enough to make it a community. I do feel like the support part of partnership is what's so interesting because so is it because they're not having the romance or sex anymore or that we're balancing all of it plus the needs and the caring like you've written in this book so beautifully of how to just address what our needs are it seems like the conscious communication and and the and the love and support that's showing up is the key and so almost like it's what we need anyway. Why are we having to call it Polly is actually what I'm trying to get at.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, that, you're asking several questions here at once. I may not remember quite all of them. You have to remind me or, cue, or you know, prompt me with a, a few if I don't remember them all. But uh, a lot of questions embedded in what you're asking. Yeah, uh, what comes up for well, you? Definitely. Uh, it's not that there's not the sex and romance anymore. There definitely is. For most okay. poly elders, sex and romance are still pretty important in their lives. Uh, I did talk to a few people who had uh, become celibate or just did not feel well enough to have sex or, you know, and just, you know, that was not an important part of their lives anymore for any number of reasons. Uh, but most poly elders are continuing to have a, a pretty happy, robust, satisfying Sex life, even if they have to make some adjustments and adaptations due to, uh, you know, medical problems and, and physical changes that uh, change uh, the way we the way we do sex. Okay. <laughs> or, Wait, let's, let's uh,
0: stay on that. Stay on that for a minute. Why? How are polygeysers having sex, and and are they having as much sex? Let's stay with that for a little while because we uh, we do have a few a few other interviews on that but if someone who hasn't heard that it is amazing how we can adapt our bodies as we age to the more slowing sensual ways we can be and show up with a deeper sense of self love and sexuality i'm certainly not diminishing that so do you actually work with people to help them with that as well with their sexuality part too
2: yes it's really really interesting because the, the being polyamorous uh is very eye opening for a lot of people around sex because uh, I work a lot of the poly elders I interviewed have been in very long term marriages or uh, cohabiting uh, domestic partnerships, uh, and also have longer you know very long term outside relationships, whether primary or secondary outside relationships, as well as the person they live with. Uh, but uh, a, a number of people also are are have been poly for many years and are in a long-term couple, but now are adding a new relationship. And what's so eye-opening about sex in that situation is that you're coming to that new person as the sexual being you are now at 60, 65, or 70. Whereas the person you've been living with or married to for 30, 40 years or more, that person you became sexually involved as a very young person you had a very different set of expectations around sex and I've talked I talked interviewed many people who said you know having had a new partner you come to that person saying well here's what I can and can't do sexually here's what I really like and want sexually uh, what do you want and what is your repertoire sexually no, uh, no. isn't that refreshing you know, like yay yeah. we can, can have- ask well and so many of those people said well then I went back to my long-term husband wife spouse partner and said well you know if I was just meeting you today and getting sexually involved with you today I'd be so grateful for whatever we could do sexually I wouldn't be thinking oh wasn't it great when we were 24 and we first got together and we could fuck all night and we could do this and this and this you know we'd be more like well we're starting from where we are now as opposed to having any nostalgia for something that, you know, maybe back in the old days when we had sex every day, you know, or sex twice a day or has had threesomes with all these people, or you know, that's really maybe not where we're at right now. So there's no reason to be like nostalgic or think, Oh gee, that's a shame. We can't do all that. We we can do all these other things and why not? Like we should appreciate that and enjoy it. So, uh, so I love I it. Say- I love
0: this. I love it. And, and then I think it's the same for romance. I mean, I didn't mean to diminish that at all. I was just curious how you would respond because I think it's all of it and it's beyond what we can sometimes know. And romance too, when you have that new spark you can bring that new romantic energy back into a relationship that keeps us very vital. I don't, I I've, you know, I'm, I'm becoming this, you know, pro ageist because what are we talking about when we say, Oh, it keeps me young. Everybody says, Oh, sex keeps you young. That's (laughs) not the point. The point is it keeps you vital and we should age and enjoy it. (laughs) So and romance is a part of that. Mm -hmm. um, So I do. I, I, so I, I love that. And I love the other part of that question was, is it because we need community and polyamory does satisfy that as and and the discussion, the conscious discussion that you discuss in the book, for example, on, on when people, one person, so monopoly relationships and how to address that. And actually I was Mm going to ask you to talk, talk about that a little, because I think it it could be something that not both couples are exactly on the same, you know, they're, they're not in the same place for. So how do you talk to them about the poly mono kind of, Idea. I
2: I would definitely love addressing that and will in a moment, but I did want to say more about community. And that is that um, Poly people are both at an advantage and disadvantage. And in a similar, very similar way to the way that queer people, LGBTQ people are both have an advantage and a disadvantage. But for queer people as well as Poly people, many, many of us long ago lost the relationships with our families of origin, because they rejected us due to our poly orientation. And same with queer people. They, particularly uh, LGBT people of my age group, I'm 68 in that 60s to 70s and beyond, uh, that was an era when parents, siblings, other relatives did not accept queer people, they did not accept poly people. So a lot of us have been very much estranged from our families of origin, so we don't have that support, uh, and likewise, a lot of queer people and poly people did not have children, or their adult children have rejected them because of, have rejected us because of our poly orientation or because of being LGBT. So, we don't have the kind of traditional family support that uh, many sort of mononormative heterosexuals do.
0: I don't know that adult children rejection thing. So tell me a bit about that. Could I talk about the opposite of that? So I would love to hear how you've had experiences with people that have really had a hard time with that. Well, <laughs> I
2: think because you're younger, your generation, the children that are your adult children or uh, that would be that generation of adult children, polyamory is no big whoop to them. They're like, yeah, who cares? You know. Uh in fact, they're like, oh gee, mom and dad, they maybe they're embarrassing us a little bit by having this weird lifestyle, but hey, they know they're cool, they're hip. What the heck? Whereas my generation. The adult children were terrified there would be a negative influence on their children, the grandchildren. Uh, Many people in my generation, the grandchildren were kept from them or there was very much restricted what kind of relationship they were allowed to have with the grandchildren. The grandchildren were not allowed to come to their home where there was a triad or quad living openly as a family. So uh, it's mostly the adult children are not comfortable with their children being around polyamory or they just are too lazy to want to have to try to explain to their kids what this means or they're uncomfortable with it so they don't want to explain it and have to try to uh you know kind of make it work so uh again not certainly not true of all you know of all polys people of my age group but there are a lot of poly people in my age group that were rejected and are estranged from their adult children so those children and grandchildren are not available to them to help take care of them in their old age uh and obviously the reality is even the totally straight people you know who've had a very traditional life you know their kids aren't taking care of them either (laughs) the fact is the reality is in this day and age you know everybody is working full time That unpaid labor that women always did for generations in the home of taking care of the elderly parents when they were elderly and needed help, that's not happening in the home anymore because women are in the full-time labor force uh, almost their entire adult lives now. And so they are not able to provide that. And so that care is happening in assisted living or skilled nursing facilities or dementia facilities or other uh, kinds of uh, elder care and senior housing facilities. So even the really straight norm, you know, mononormative people, it's not much of a an, an opportunity for their children, uh, adult children, or grandchildren to take care of them. But at least those adult children are often very involved and are coordinating your care and are making sure you're getting good care or helping you move into assisted living or you know visiting you and being part of your life. So uh, there, that is a resource that we don't have that many people in my generation who are poly do not have. Uh, but we do often have uh, additional partners and metamors, and even in many cases, ex-partners or ex-spouses, who are uh, stepping up and being a part of that circle that's providing for you in your old age, both financially as well as you know, providing the labor and care.
0: Well, you talk about that a lot in your book, and, and so... Uh, it, it, I mean, let's first talk. Actually, let's stay there. The, this idea of, of kind of co-housing and intentional communities that we do hope people will build more of as they age vitally. Are you seeing some of that? Because I mean, there's discrimination as you had mentioned in your book and your research about LGBTQA communities anyway, and even in assisted living and in mm-hmm. big cities. That's hopefully being dismantled, and people are having better training, as you discussed. The staff for understanding poly, poly cues that come to them or just one piece, one part that people are visiting more than one and how to accept that. And yet, how where is it growing? Where's the where's the growth and where's the where's the the light coming from as far as co-housing or intentional communities that you've seen for poly people?
2: Well, there are no co-housing communities or other communities for elders who are poly. Uh, We wish there were, and I think we're probably gonna have to build them ourselves. Um, There, uh, over the past 20 years, uh, many, many LGBT-oriented senior housing facilities have been built by queer people themselves because they were facing so much stigma and discrimination and lousy care and in uh, these much straighter uh, senior housing facilities. So many of these senior housing facilities, whether assisted living or skilled nursing or intermediate care, any other kind of senior housing uh, are owned by churches and religious organizations. So you can imagine, they're not going to be very gay friendly. They're not going to be very poly friendly. Uh, um, The rest of them are almost universally owned by large corporations and their chains. uh, And they are, uh, you know, Profit-oriented, profit-driven, and as a result, uh, they are kind of appealing to the lowest common denominator they are very, very traditional in their way of organizing housing and their way of providing services for seniors. So uh, they are also not very poly-friendly. Uh, most of them are not very queer friendly, which is why gay people had to build their own senior housing uh, because they couldn't get decent housing and good care uh, otherwise. And uh, I, my, my current advice is, you know, if you need to move into assisted living and you're poly, move into a gay senior living place, even if you're totally heterosexual, <laughs> because they're, they're much more likely to be uh, poly friendly just because such a very high percentage of, of gay male Couples and gay males individuals are poly, so they're, they're much more oriented towards that. Uh, so uh, uh, that's my only advice I could give right now. Uh, the I, I did in my research, uh, cold call and interview uh, twenty-five senior facilities, certain senior living facilities, mostly assisted living facilities, uh, and only two of them, you know, had ever heard the word polyamory or had any idea. What I was talking about. <laughs> and uh, those two both were co-housing communities, uh, co-housing communities, uh, one here in Oakland, California, right near where I live and the other in Virginia, Elder Spirit, uh, they are uh, co-housing communities tend to be much more politically progressive, much more socially liberal uh, in in terms of everything from pot smoking to sex, (laughs) and so uh, much more likely to be very accepting. Uh, Those two co-housing communities that had heard of polyamory and knew something about it said that they each in their communities would happily welcome and embrace any poly individual couple or family that wanted to move in there, but that to now, so far, they did not have any uh, poly people living in their community.
0: Well, the percentage of people that have really you know, come out, I mean, compared to, like you said, younger people. And that's why your book addresses it to help people identify and, and come and be public about it, which is what this is about, is so important. Because this vitality that I believe yeah. we can actually gain from opening, which is what the whole idea of the Open Nesters is about, is is such a it, it it really helps us kind of define what we want our last part of our lives to look like, and so you you write about that in the book as well. Um, you know, this this kind of creating new life post career and post kids, at the mm-hmm. end of the book. And so, I mean, did you did you end up speaking with some couples that really you saw that how they're. And you mentioned this you're, in the book—the conscious communication, the fact that they've had to define their life work, their their lives in general, a little more consciously helps them also write that script going forward, like what they would like it to look like, what they want to do. Is there any anything you'd like to mention about that idea? So even if it's a the polymono thing that's included in that, mm-hmm. what if what if it's a, a, when someone who's only or not doesn't want to continue being poly, or doesn't want to co- doesn't want to be monogamous. Either yeah. one. How how does that? How do you how do you address those discussions?
2: Well, for a lot of people in those this older age group, uh, I, I usually try to clarify. You know, there are two distinct generations of poly elders. There are what I call the older elders and the younger. Elders. The older elders grew up. In the 1920s and 30s and 40s during the Great Depression and World War II. That's a very, very different era than the next generation of poly elders, which is the baby boomers who grew up during. Uh, The Vietnam War and the civil rights movement and the so-called sexual revolution uh, grew up in a very, very different time. Those are
0: are our audience. So let's discuss it for them, because those are the open nesters. I'm 61. So anyone in their 60s that has three kids that are in their 20s and 30s and they've raised them Mm -hmm. and they're looking ahead like what? What is some of the discussion? So talk about that polymono thing. I think that was an interesting one, and any others that have come up that you think could be a relevant kind of consciousness shift of what mm-hmm. I want in a relationship. I would love to discuss that.
2: Yeah, well, uh, just to just to complete this other thought, that is um, the. The younger elders that are my baby boomer generation, we were the first generation of women in the history of humankind that had control of our fertility Mm -hmm. and had control over the decision to procreate or not. And if so, how many babies and when? Because the birth control pill and IUD were invented when I was a teenager. And that was when <laughs> that during that time period and uh, legal abortion happened uh, also when I was a teenager. So, uh, we are the first women that ever had that option, the choice. Do we want to have children or not? If so, how many do we want to have and when? So uh, that has made a huge difference. You know, pe- women have chosen childbearing consciously or some women have chosen not. To bear children, And so we've had a lot more choices in our lives, and that has allowed us to be poly, <laughs> to control w- when we have the opportunity to have relationships, because we are not burdened down like my mother was. My mother had five children by the time she was 25 years old. <laughs> she did not have any choices or options there. So it's a very different life. But I think particularly also for women in my generation and the generation older than me, uh, those of us who, those people who did have children, we feel losing our children if we were out of the closet as poly. And I certainly knew people uh, who did lose their, lose custody of their children because of being poly. Uh, And uh, similarly to a lot of gay Uh, particularly lesbian mothers lost their custody of their children during that era. Luckily now, uh, women today, I don't think really have to worry about that if they have children and they're openly poly. It's very, very unlikely that unless they have an extremely vindictive ex-husband or something or uh, who's going to try to take the children away. Uh, So a lot of women in my age group waited until they were the children were grown in order to become poly or to be more openly poly. Uh, And a lot of men and women both decided to wait until after they finished careers or were firmly established in their careers because I know many people that lost their jobs or their careers were ruined because they were too open about being poly and that was not part of the culture that was going to help you get ahead in your career. So I think now when people, the kids are grown, you're retired from a job, you can do whatever the hell you want, <laughs> There's not that much anybody can do to you to punish you for being poly. Uh, and that is a small part of this phenomenon of uh, this monopoly uh, relationship phenomenon. I This was one of the biggest surprises for me in writing this book. I interviewed numerous women who had been very sort of hardcore monogamists all their lives, and they believed they needed a monogamous relationship to feel safe, secure, loved and respected. And they discovered, in their fifties or sixties, that they were pretty happy being in a poly relationship with a man who was already married or already living with another long-term partner. Once they're and- divorced,
0: once they were divorced or widowed, right? Well, probably what after, right? After they came through a mono, through a monogamous marriage, and now they're open because women are going to be more of a multitude as we as we age. So I, I think that's a reality. <laughs>
2: Right. I talked to many women who said, well, I only decided to give this poly thing a try because I spent five years and couldn't get a date to save my life. You know, all the men I met were married. Uh, and that they finally decided, well, try this poly thing. They were meeting really wonderful, nice, loving married guys who wanted to Really tweet them like a queen and you know be there for them and you know be in an openly honestly poly relationship with them and they were meeting the men they were meeting had wives or lived together, you know uh cohabiting partners who were very who were also poly, also had boyfriends, girlfriends, et cetera, and the wives also were you know very open to their husband having another partner so uh these women discovered that. At this stage in their lives, they're not really looking for a full-time husband or full-time live-together partner. And in fact, that person would just get in their way. Uh, a lot of them have adult children and grandchildren, and they spend a lot of time with their children and grandchildren. And they really don't want a guy getting in their way. They're really looking for a more part-time relationship, which some of them said, well, I didn't realize that till I actually was out there dating and discovered If I was dating a monogamous guy, he was always complaining that I spent too much time with my kids and grandkids. Uh, Or in a number of cases, these women said, you know, I deferred so many goals and so many things I wanted to do for decades because I was raising kids. I had a husband to take care of and I would have a full time job. Now the kids are grown. I'm retired. Now I can pursue starting a business or starting a nonprofit to do some kind of a charity or nonprofit that I think is going to do vital work in the community. Or I can, and many women said, I, I never got my college degree because I got married and I had kids and I had to drop out of school. So now I'm getting my degree, or in some cases, I'm getting a master's degree to pursue a second career that I really want. That was just not an option for me in the past because I had kids and a job.
0: This is the essence of the interview. I love the way you've given us that I can feeling, Kathy. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, because, and it comes just from what really naturally, organically emerged. And it's emerging. And so when we look at our lives, and this is the last question I have for you, unless there are other things that you'd like to add. Like when we look at our lives, you write you write something about uh, life reviews. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so how do you feel like this book has informed the way we look at our lives and write our life reviews and look ahead?
2: Well, I, I discovered that in interviewing people, they naturally are doing that life review it's not like something that someone has to tell them to do or suggest that they do it's natural that you get to my age i could see that you know at least two-thirds of my life is over and you know nothing about that upsets me or worries me i'm thrilled that i've had this wonderful life and i'm really excited i'm hoping to have you know 20 or 25 years more. Uh, but it's natural when you get two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through your life that you have a lot more to look back on than what's coming ahead. So it's natural that we're trying to make sense of our lives. And I think for poly folks, we are also trying to make sense of that aspect of our lives, that through so much of our lives, that was... As much as it's been wonderful and exhilarating, it also has been a struggle because we started out in polyamory not having much support, not having any resources and having to really create that part of our lives through our own sheer will (laughs) because we just didn't have, you know, books and therapists and the Internet to help us. So I think in looking back on that, uh, I heard from so many people that their only regret about being polyamorous was that there was not the support and resources they needed during, say, the 1970s and 80s, and even up through the 90s, and that as a result, you know, we certainly did make mistakes. And I think, I think anyone, whether you're monogamous or poly, we've all made mistakes in our relationships. Nobody, I don't think, can say they've behaved perfectly at all times or done all the right things, uh, you know, throughout our lives. But uh the people i talked to said they would have been able to do better if they had had more resources that they regret that there were times when they did not manage their relationships well and they may have hurt someone they really loved or someone that they really loved really hurt them just because they didn't have those didn't have that kind of support and help
0: and we recently had uh Jessica Fernan from the book Polysecure, which also so many beautiful books out there that have been. Oh,
2: books. she's yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, yes. Was she talking about the workbook, the new workbook?
0: Yeah, well, she's talking about her book in general. And we had a uh-huh. conversation. And so I love this part because you're, you've taken it further into the idea of how do we look at aging in a way that is embracing and is 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 fully the way you've researched it, the way you've brought it to light we're letting ourselves look at the light of what we're all learning as all ages. And I, I, I value that so much what you've contributed your body of work and this conversation as well. Is there anything else that you feel like you'd like to add to the, well, before we close up and then you're going to give everybody how to reach you.
2: Um, I would just reiterate that, you know, now that so many resources exist, you know, take advantage of those resources, you know, Go to classes, you know. Listen to the Open Nesters podcast. (laughs) Listen to all these. You know, there are lots of fantastic poly-themed podcasts to listen to uh, that have literally hundreds of episodes where you can really learn a lot. Uh, There are lots of books out there now. There are a lot of therapists out there now. There are a lot of websites that have information. You know, if you are an individual or a couple that is thinking of becoming poly or if you are already in that process as an individual couple, try it, et cetera, you know, get help. It's not easy being successfully poly. It's complicated, requires exquisite communication skills, requires a really extreme time and energy management skills. It is a whole huge skill set that you need to develop in order to do it well, do it gracefully, do it in a way that's going to make you happy and where you're not going to hurt other people by just not knowing what the hell you're doing. So it, since those resources do exist now, I really encourage people to know, do the homework, think of this as whether it's, you think of it as like learning how to speak Latin or, you know, learning to be an electrician or something. I mean, there is like a lot of both technical skills as well. It's an art and a science. And don't, don't think that just because you're smart and talented that you're going to know how to do this and do it well.
0: Thank you. So, as, would you like people to be able to reach you? Is there, or we could also put it in the podcast notes. Is there a way that people can reach out to you, or for anything that you offer, anything that coming up that you'd like to promote?
2: Thank you for that opportunity. Uh, I have a website. It's just. KathyLapriola.com, and I have lots of free videos and podcast episodes and uh, articles and other resources on that site, uh, which I really encourage people to take advantage of. Uh, I do a lot of uh, workshops and and classes and things that I always have. Someone videotape it so that I can post it there because there's so many people that contact me that from our, that are from places like Kansas or, you know, uh, Alabama or Australia or Indonesia or some, you know, places that uh, they do not have access to these resources, but they do have the internet. So, uh, I, I really encourage, uh, anyone who's involved in polyamory to make whatever resources you have available to other people who may not have anything similar in their geographical area.
0: Thank you so, so much for your beautiful, valuable time and research on this book and generous offerings, Kathy. Really thank you for today.
1: Tessa, anyone that is involved in poly that is uh, in a poly amorous relationship uh can benefit from this uh, particular interview and i would like to refer to it more as a being in a poly relationship rather than doing poly it is certainly an eye-opener and for me thinking about wow 10 15 20 years from now what is poly life going to look like because as we know it's a it's a world that is really Uh, Not so much control But uh, populated by by the young Don't you agree?
0: Definitely more acceptable by the young So anyone who's listened to this Or wants a role model of what's ahead Because they want a long term uh, Openness in their relationship I think we can learn so much Because I mean, she even mentioned Sometimes we get in for the sex Or the romance or the adventure Or to be different To kind of break rules And yet look at the, 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 the wealth Of what we can gain Because we are finding new sides of ourselves with new people as we grow. And that's mm-hmm. what we, you and I love about that as well.
1: Right. It, it, it's a complete involvement, continuously to evolve, continuously uh, defining relationship uh, and defining, really, the, the odds of it to succeed.
0: And she discussed the family almost like, Look, I also believe that close friends can represent families we get older. It doesn't have to be a poly partner. Uh, so I do want to mention that. Although I do think what she what she talks about, and I guess in California or in Virginia, some of the places that she discussed these co-housing communities, there's a lot more of a because they maybe were older or rejected by adult kids or having found partnerships that help and sustain them. Or judged. It's yeah. Something, yeah, something for us to look at to find our communities and know that we don't have to have a traditional family for support as we get older and and to really look at those options because some I mean I feel bad for the people that were estranged from their kids their adult kids we don't know that as well
1: because of their choice of uh, lifestyle
0: yeah, I mean, it, yeah. and that's and and that's a really sad thing, and I think in a conservative climate, that's certainly an issue, and there're probably a lot of of affairs happening and partnerships in in, in what's called a monogamous relationship, but really, I mean, we know some ourselves very closely, and where that's happening. It and said,
1: so, yeah, it said that affairs are more acceptable than poly lifestyle. Who that's, says? Um, I mean. <laughs> I say.
0: I, I don't. I, I think that. I think that nobody says it, but it's true that we sometimes some people can handle it more. It's which is hard. I, I and poly, and poly people our age are a much smaller percentage. I mean, baby boomers. I just read a new statistic. Are really only a tiny percentage. Most of the poly people or are, are LGBTQA people, for example, twenty percent are are Generation Z, and then you have X, and then and we're millennials, and then X, and so we are on between X and boom and I do feel like this sociological study that she did is a really huge piece of understanding ourselves better and understanding so that you know we, we, I talked a lot about that poly thing and you asked about that yourself like correct about how somebody when women get older right. they can actually then find a way to be with a poly person if they only want a part-time partner right right
1: it's a they want a part-time relationship and they can find it in the poly because the, the, the
0: men too I guess
1: exactly so we all involve in our Humans. own thing and, and <laughs> just like okay well, I'm going to give uh, attention and relationship for about 30% of my time the rest of it I like to play golf I like to travel with my friends. I like to spend with my grandkids or whatever that is. So yes, that's maybe working that. And I can also respect and appreciate the people that, uh, uh, so to speak, coming out of the closet in their poly lifestyle after their career is ended because it has not been acceptable by their superior or by their peers. And now they can exercise their poly lifestyle much better and much openly. So I can understand that as well. And it's a shame that we have that stigma about polyamorous uh, yeah. Uh, uh, c- continuously.
0: Yeah, and and I'm glad that we can say something like, actually, which I think was in our, our, one of our most recent episodes, one of the gentlemen on our po- podcast said, there's less to fear as we get less time left. So right. we have less to fear to be able to say, let's live our full selves, and that's what The Open estus is about. So thank you, Kathy, for this beautiful interview.
1: Yeah, that was uh, Stephen... Uh, uh, Stephen, Stephen and, and Carrie, Carrie, yes. Yeah, that says, Cardinal. Uh, right, Cardinal. Anyway, thank you for listening to this podcast and many, many more that we have already broadcasted. To see all and listen to all our episodes, go to our website, theopenesters.com. Double in the middle, S at the end. Love to hear your comment. Love you to write some reviews on your favorite podcast platform for us.
0: Yeah, no, and actually subscribe through your pay f- your podcast platform because then you'll know about all the different and very unique episodes that we bring to light about this stage of life. And we would love your involvement with that and sharing to friends. So thank you for helping make us a top-rated relationship podcast. And thank you for all stage. your
1: beautiful comments.
0: Yes, and, we re- and also thanks for subscribing more to our growing social media platforms of Instagram. And we have a closed Facebook group. If you'd like to make comments and have some dialogue, we are here to dialogue
1: till the next time this is Amir and this is Tessa and we will see you on the next episode
0: ciao you have been listening to the Open Nesters podcast a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media executive producer Tessa Crone. music by Yoni Avi Patat audio engineering by Lucid Sound Web Design and Blogs, P.J. Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email Tessa at theopennesters.com.